As the Father sent me, I am sending you. These words of Jesus to his followers represent what one author calls the greatest commission. But regardless of what we title this commission, it is certainly a profound invitation and one that we cannot even begin to hope to complete in our own strength or wisdom. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't simply give the commission and leave. He also provides the necessary resources. Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that you'll hear the invitation of the Holy Spirit to join in God's work in your life and world today. This week we pause before our Christmas series begins and return to the words of Jesus sending his followers on the same mission he was sent to complete and focus particularly on the gift of the Holy Spirit as the enabler of our participation. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, it's a little bit different from last week. Well, it seemed like low-key. It wasn't really low-key, but it was compared to last week for the 70th. How many of you here last week for the 70th? Bunch of you, bunch of you weren't, and you missed out. There's still some of the paraphernalia and memorabilia uh, out in the uh, atrium space. I encourage you to have a look at that before we go. We'll have some photos up next week. Peter Hinton and Peter Sparks took thousands of photos, well, maybe not thousands, many photos. 1,000 photos. So we're still working through those, but we'll have some available for you next week. Uh, as Mark mentioned, we do have our AGM today. Uh, so right after the service, the sausages will be sizzling, uh, and uh, you're able to kind of pick those up. We'll start at 12.30 and finish no later than 2. You don't have to be a member to be here as well. If so you'd like to stick around for that, please do so. Uh, just before we have a bit of a look at this passage, though, I want to bring you up to speed uh, a little bit on uh, some things that we've been doing uh, as a church leadership to more effectively lean into domestic violence. You might be aware that tomorrow is the International Day uh, for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Uh, and uh, on Friday, uh, some of you participated with some of our leaders and others uh, in the White Ribbon Walk uh, down in Cornella as kind of one way for us to be involved. For a couple of years now, we have held as a social issue that we want to lean into as a church, domestic violence. Uh, and yet, uh, as many of you are aware, it's an incredibly complex issue. Uh, it's not something that's easily um, lent into. There's not a lot of ways it seems immediately 
uh, easy for us to be involved. So I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of background to uh, the things that we have been doing with this most serious issue in our community. Uh, we are still facing, an, uh, it's almost an epidemic of domestic violence. Uh, one woman every week still is murdered across Australia by a partner or intimate partner, uh, which is just remarkably sad and troubling. Uh, and so we do feel that we need to be those who are engaged in this. Uh, Hopefield, as uh, you are aware, because we've raised the money for her role, has a domestic violence and trauma counselor two days a week. Sue Chin, uh, who we have funded for this year and have again funded for next year, is on staff, which is excellent. Uh, but they also, in, in their case management and other counseling services, continue to deal with people uh, who are grappling with the impact and effects of domestic violence. Uh, they are also part of the planning committee uh, for uh, DV in the Shire, an interagency committee, and occasionally present at that as well. Um, Jodine and Barb Higgins have been part of the planning uh, committee for the Shire Walk Against Domestic Violence, which took place on Friday. They've been a part of that for a couple of years now, and we're the only church group at this point that's involved in that committee, uh, which is a pretty significant thing for us. I don't think you have to be a Christian to want to stand against the elimination of violence against women, uh, and so it's good for us to be involved in that way. Uh, because of their involvement, I was invited to the mayor's men's breakfast about a month ago, uh, where uh, men across the Sutherland Shire were invited not only to hear again about some of the troubling statistics around domestic violence, but also to be encouraged to continue to find ways to speak out against that and to do what we can to participate. On uh, Wednesday, our GBC senior staff, which is Mark and Jodine uh, and uh, Roxanne Lawler and Vicki Sherry, along with Barb Higgins, who oversees Catalyst, we wandered up to Morling College where there was a leaders forum for Baptist church leaders uh, around domestic violence and their response, not only about how to ensure that we have churches that are safe, uh, but also to get us thinking about what our next faithful steps might be in that. Uh, and uh, we're also going to be part of the upcoming interfaith forum around domestic and family violence. So there's quite a bit going on, but a lot of that is taking place kind of at a leadership level. So I wanted to let you know that we are continuing to think this through because I don't really want us to be a church that simply says that we're against domestic violence, although I think every church should certainly say that. But I'd like to think that we could do something alongside of that. Uh, and this is a really complex issue. It's one that uh, is not easily entered into, and so we're trying to do the best that we can to explore what options we have so that in the years to come, we might be a little bit more, more than vocal uh, in our response to this issue in our water community. Can I uh, so encourage you just to kind of, you know, if you want to touch base with where, where we're up to, by all means, chat to us about that. We'd love to uh, talk to you about where we're up to, the ideas that we have, and what's sort of beginning to take some shape for us. But can I also encourage you, at least sometime tomorrow, uh, if and when you pray, to pray for the elimination of violence against women. I don't think that that is outside of the scope of God's plans to restore and renew the world, so it's an appropriate prayer for us, I think. Uh, so before we have a look at this passage, can I lead us briefly uh, in that prayer as well? Would you join me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we believe that uh, though our world is broken and there are signs of its brokenness all around us, that you have promised to make things right in Christ Jesus. And we believe that uh, the violence against women in particular uh, that we have become much, much more aware of breaks your heart as it breaks ours. And we believe that that is not in your plans for human flourishing. 
And so we would pray that uh, in your powerful name that you would eliminate violence against women and children and, well, violence in general in our society. And we ask for your leadership, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us not only as a leadership but as a community of faith to do more than simply speak out against this but also to be actively involved, taking up your invitation to participate in the renewal of the world wherever that might be. So lead and guide us, we pray, and may we see your power at work in this part of our world, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, it was the 70th, and uh, I uh, turned, as I seem to do more and more frequently, uh, for a few moments at the end of that service to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. It's a passage that, if you've been around for a while, you're going to wonder when I'm just going to start preaching on that every single week. Uh, It's the passage that contains the words that we have printed over our door, where Jesus says to His disciples, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And I briefly reflected again on that passage, and I'd like to begin there again today, because that passage has, has continued to become more and more important for me and for us as a leadership to try to work out what it is that we're on about as a church. Uh, that we want to be a church that wants people to take up that invitation to join in with what Jesus is doing around the world. And therefore, we want to be a community of faith that helps people hear and respond to the invitation of God, wherever that might be. And that's becoming more and more and more significant for us as a leadership and for myself personally. And can I just say, it's a really big deal. Jesus says, as the Father sent me... I'm sending you. And just think for a moment about what Jesus was sent to accomplish. He was sent to demonstrate the love of God more clearly than anyone has ever been able to. He came to preach and proclaim and teach about the kingdom of God, about what the rule and reign of God looks like in concrete terms. He came to uh, forgive sins Uh, and to restore our relationship with God. He came to break the power, not only of sin, but of death, and to demonstrate that in the mighty acts that He was able to perform. And all of that, what the Father sent Jesus to do, is what Jesus sends us to do. He has not left us with a list of busy work to do until He returns. Right? He hasn't just kind of kept us busy for, uh, for as long as it takes. He hasn't given us some side projects that are kind of nice if they got done, but it's not really all that important. No, we have been invited into the plans and purposes of God to restore and renew the world in Jesus Christ. That is a big deal. And it's that commission and, 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 its, uh, and its scope that has been so significant Uh, as I continue to reflect on this. And yet, as we've talked about in particular in our Refresh series, it's awfully easy for us to, I don't know, not make excuses, but at least kind of distance ourselves from involvement, right? It's pretty easy for us, isn't it, to say, oh, Lord, love your work, but have you thought about doing a more comprehensive risk assessment uh, in terms of who you recruit to be involved in your work? Do you have any idea of the reputational risk that I represent to your work into your kingdom if you get me involved? Do you have any idea about my failings? Do you have any idea about my weaknesses? And on and on we go, and we kind of distance ourselves from it. 
And we can kind of look at this passage in John 20, and I will get to Acts 2 in a moment, believe me. Uh, in, Acts, in John chapter 20, we can kind of forget the context. We can end up treating this passage almost like it's a graduation ceremony. That Jesus has kind of come in and met with his disciples and said, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to to have you here. You finished your three-year apprenticeship with me, and things couldn't have turned out better. Uh, Your character is just reformed. Your hearts are soft before the Lord. You've learned all the skills that I was hoping you would, and now you are ready for what's next, postgraduate opportunities to be involved in the kingdom of God. And this is not a graduation scene. This is that awkward moment when Jesus appears. The last time most of them had seen Jesus, they were running away. Peter has yet to have that kind of awkward conversation about denying that he would deny Jesus. Right? Jesus said, you deny me three times. Peter actually did it four because he denied that he would deny and then did it anyways, right? He's that, that conversation hasn't been had yet. Thomas isn't even in the room, and when Thomas hears the apostles say, Jesus is alive, he goes, yeah, right. There's some work to do amongst the apostles, wouldn't you say? And to that group of people, before they can even raise the issue, before the disciples can say, ah, yeah, about that running away part, or about the denial, or about the the doubt, or about the fact that you rose from the dead, and we didn't really see that coming, although we probably should have in retrospect, and we have no idea what it means. Before they can say any of that, what does Jesus do? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I actually think that this is an incredibly important moment for us just to unpack a little bit this morning. Because Jesus in this context gives them the Holy Spirit to enable them to do what He has just asked them to do. He has just said, I want you to be involved in the the same plans and purposes that God has given to me. And I know that you don't have it all together, and you don't really understand what's going on, and there's all sorts of problems yet, but I want you nonetheless to be involved, and so you're going to need some help, so here is the Holy Spirit. He gives to them the Holy Spirit, and the reason why is because Jesus is sending us as He was sent, and when Jesus was sent, He received the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, verses 32 to 34, John the Baptist is testifying about why Jesus is the one. And what does he say? I was told, he says, I was told by God that the one upon whom I saw the Spirit descend and remain, he was the one. And Jesus, he's the one. I saw the Spirit descend on him and remain on him. Do you follow me on this? Jesus, and we believe this, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human, right? That He was like us. He was like us, so He had no supernatural advantage. He needed to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, just like you and I need to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And Jesus was attentive so that, you read it all the way through John, so He knew what the Father was doing, and He knew what the Father wanted Him to say. And he knew where the Father wanted him to go and what he wanted him to do. And Jesus, knowing that he is sending his disciples into the same task, gives them the same resource. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
It's pretty remarkable, I think, really. You see, sometimes, I mean, there's lots about the Holy Spirit that's mysterious, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I've read theologians on the Holy Spirit, and I think they're not even clear, right? There's a lot that's mysterious about the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we can re- reduce, we can reduce the work of the Holy Spirit to an internal, personal experience, where the Holy Spirit has been given to me and to you to continue to change our hearts and to uh, deepen our willingness to obey and deepen our love for God and to continue to remake us in the character of Jesus, right? To to, to make us more like Him, uh, to sanctify us, as they say, to make us holy and more righteous, all that good stuff. But here, Jesus is, for the moment at least, not interested in their holiness or their ongoing righteousness. He's interested in the mission that He's sending them to. And so while the Spirit is involved in that new birth in our lives, here Jesus makes very clear that the Spirit is given primarily because He is sending them and they're going to need it. And whether it's really quiet, I mean, because John chapter 20, it's pretty quiet. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and we assume that they did. It's a little bit different than Acts chapter 2, isn't it? But it's the same reason why the Spirit is given. So in Acts 2, right, there, there's a violent wind. I think the best location for Acts chapter 2 in terms of understanding where it is is a corner of the, the, the temple courtyard. There's a violent wind. There's the, the tongues of fire. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit enables the apostles and the disciples, those who are gathered there, to be able to speak the languages of all who are gathered. And again, the Holy Spirit is not poured out to conform them immediately to the, to the, to the, to the um, uh, character of Jesus. And the, the interest in the moment in Acts chapter 2 is not about their personal sanctification. The reason why the Holy Spirit is poured out at that point in time is to invite the apostles and the disciples to participate in what God is doing. And what is God doing in Acts chapter 2? He's starting the church. He has gathered from all corners of the world pious Jews who know the Scriptures, who have been on pilgrimage, who have come to the city of Jerusalem for Passover and then stayed for the amount of time to stick around for Pentecost. If you're going to make a pilgrimage on foot and by boat, you might as well stay for the whole shebang, right? And they have gathered, and they probably heard the rumors about Jesus, and they probably may have seen him in the crowd, and they may have seen him die, and they may have heard that he was alive, and now all of a sudden, the Spirit's poured out, and they themselves encounter the prompting of the Spirit. Three times, three times, the crowd say to one another, isn't it amazing that we're hearing the message in our language? I'm hearing it in my language. Are you hearing it in yours? Because I'm hearing it in mine. Are you hearing this in your language? Because I'm hearing it in mine. How about you? We're all hearing it in our own language. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit both enabled the apostles but also seemed to enable the crowd to be able to hear and encounter the the, the good news of Jesus Christ and in that moment to, to launch something really, really brand new. We are given this same Spirit, the same Spirit that Jesus walked with, the same Spirit that kept Him in constant communication with His Father, 
The same Spirit that enabled in the moment the apostles to speak the good news in the language of all who came. We are given the same Spirit. I think sometimes we forget that. Uh, when I uh, first started at Moreland College, 2004, 2005, whatever year it was, uh, you, you may have experienced something like this when you've started a new job or gone to a new school. I was given a faculty buddy. Right? I was given a faculty member who knew their way around and understood the systems and the processes, and uh, they were kind of my first go-to if I had a question. Right? And the whole idea was that there'd be somebody that I knew I could ask about the moderation processes or where I'm sending this, that, or the other thing to, or who I speak to to get such and such a thing done, or running a lecture past, or whatever it was. They were my buddy. Have you had that sort of experience before? Someone who's just there to kind of help you get along. And, and to some degree, to some degree, this isn't a, a horrible analogy for the Holy Spirit. I'm not convinced we should start talking about the Holy Spirit as our buddy. I'm not sure that's quite right. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us by Jesus, whether in a very quiet way or a more exuberant and boisterous way, He's been given to us for the same reasons, right? to enable us to participate with Him. And for each one of us, you know, we believe by faith that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It may not always be obvious where the Spirit's at work in our lives, but can I suggest a couple of places? Whenever we read Scripture and suddenly something becomes clear that had not been clear before, we believe that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I pray with people um, after the services, there are times when, you know, whatever the circumstance or situation might be, where I feel led to pray a particular thing. I, haven't, I don't premeditate those. I don't get appointment beforehand so I can kind of work out what I'm going to say. But in that moment, I feel that that's the Spirit of God prompting me in ways in which I should be praying. And those moments when we feel that we should be praying for someone, you know, you're praying alone somewhere and all of a sudden a name drops in your head. You think, where'd that come from? Oh, that's the Spirit of God at work. When we encounter those moments, when we when we feel that He is inviting us into something, where He's kind of calling us and leading us in a way that goes beyond our own natural understanding, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to enable us and to empower us for the mission that Jesus has given to us. This is really quite significant. But the buddy analogy kind of falls down pretty significantly, because the ultimate reason why I was given a buddy was so that ultimately I would become self-sufficient, right? The whole point of me having a faculty member that I could be talking to about the circumstances that I was facing was so that once I'd asked them once or twice, I would then know what I was doing. I'm not sure how successful my buddy was, but I can fake it pretty well now, so he's done all right, right? You know, so we, we learn to become self-sufficient. Once I've asked you, you know, can you show me this process once or twice, I should know how to do it after that. That's where it falls down, of course, because we are never to become self-sufficient in our participation with what God is doing. But it is awfully easy to become self-sufficient, is it not? And it's often linked to things becoming comfortable. You know, once the thrill of having turned, given our life to God has passed, eh, 
you know, I kind of know how this whole thing works. I can walk the walk and I can talk the talk. You know, once, uh, once I've kind of gone through the Bible a bit and I've had those moments of really feeling that God's speaking to me, well, you know, I don't need that now. I just kind of keep reading the Bible and I can keep praying. It's all good. I just kind of, I, I get comfortable and all of a sudden we become quite self-reliant, self-sufficient, no longer aware of our need for the Holy Spirit. And that's actually a pretty dangerous place to be because the commission that we've been given by Jesus is not one that we can do in our own strength, is it? You and I, in our own strength, will transform and change almost nothing. We might do some good things. We might make a difference. We might have a bit of an impact. But you and I, in our own strength, will change no one's heart. We we can't bring the kind of deep, profound healing that Jesus promises. And so it's really important that that we recognize our need for the Spirit and in fact recognize the gift of the Spirit to each of us. So let me ask you these two questions. Have you become self-sufficient? Because it's way too important. What we're invited into is way too important. See, and if we become self-sufficient, we end, up, um, we end up reducing the call of Jesus to just being nice because we can do that in our own strength, right? If we're only relying on ourselves, we're going to reduce the bar that Jesus has set. The invitation is given us until it's manageable for us. Now, I'll tell you now, I do not want to lead a church of people who are nice. That's boring. I want to be part of something that makes a difference in the world. I want to be part of something where we actually see the unleashing of God's power to heal and restore the world. That's what I want to see. Nice. Nice. Who wants nice? I want to see changed lives, not nice lives. Nice lives makes us a hobby club. We're a church. And if you are complacent, Can I suggest a next step for you? When are you most aware of the presence of God? Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's in those moments of devotion or times of worship. Uh, But sometimes I think the, the time that I'm most aware of God's presence is when I am being stretched. You know, the new circumstance, the new situation. Something has happened in your life and all of a sudden you remember how much you need God. A few weeks ago, Mark was talking about our discipleship and talked about taking a stretching step. And the image that kept coming through my head was crossing a creek. You've ever crossed a creek? I'm sure you've all crossed a creek. And you know when they kind of, they, when creeks put rocks in themselves or however that works, they don't do them conveniently, do they? And inevitably, you get to that point in crossing the creek where you're on that rock, and the next rock is just a bit too, you know that rock? Sometimes in our spiritual lives, we need a next step that's just a little bit too far. Something in our lives that forces us again to go, okay, God. I'm going to take the jump, and I hope that rock's stable and not slippery with moss. 
I hope it's, you know, as dry as it looks. Do you need something like that in your life? Some of you are kind of going, my life is just so chaotic right now, I don't need anything to make it worse, thank you very much. I'm in the middle of the creek, I'm up to my neck in it because I've missed the rock entirely. <laughs> Different prayer for you. But if you find yourself a little bit self-sufficient, kind of cruising a little bit, if you've reduced the invitation of Jesus to just something that's kind of attainable in your own strength, well, can I invite you to pray that the Holy Spirit would invite you into something that's just a little bit too far? Not, not miles out there, just, just a little bit out there. Because I think when that happens, it increases our reliance and focuses again on the work of God the big, transformational, challenging work of God that He's wanting to do in Christ Jesus. So there's your challenge as we head into Christmas, like you needed another one on your list. And as a church, we want to be one that is engaged and participating in everything that Jesus is doing. It's really important. So I'm going to invite the team up. We're going to conclude our service with a song of worship uh, that's, that's really asking the Holy Spirit to kind of move in our lives again. Um, and as we do that, can I invite you to join me in prayer? Uh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you have invited us, as flawed as we are, to participate with you. And that to enable us, you haven't just left us to our own devices, our own strength, our own wisdom. You have given to us the Holy Spirit who is able to empower and equip and enable and change and, and motivate and inspire us. And I pray for all of us that we would be aware of your presence in a particularly powerful way. And for those of us who need it, that you would lead us to a space where we have to take a step that's just a little too far, one that reminds us of our need for you. Remind us again of the mission that you've invited us into, particularly at Christmas and I pray that you would continue to draw us further and further into our trust and hope in you, for we ask it in your name. Amen. The task we have been given by our Lord is too important to try to do in our own strength. If we do, we tend to reduce the work to what we can accomplish in our own strength. Instead, we are invited to follow the leading of the Spirit, trusting in His enablement and power to see transformation in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Is there someone you know who needs to hear this message too? If so, why not share it with them and see what God does through that? As always, we'd love to hear from you as you hear and respond to the invitation of God. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at gaimiabaptist.org.au. God bless.